Hello, shockers, and welcome to the Sunflower News Podcast. I'm Audrey Cordy. I'm a graduate teaching assistant at the Elliott School, and I'm a reporter for the Sunflower. The Sunflower News Podcast provides coverage of recent news and events on and around campus. Episodes will also bring you original content and coverage through interviews and analysis of important issues at Wichita State University. Here's your Sunflower News Rundown. The Sunflowers put together a timeline of events leading up to former University President Jay Golden's resignation on September 25th. The Sunflower obtained Golden's calendar and emails for the weeks prior to his resignation through open records requests. Of 849 pages of emails, the university fully redacted six pages and several calendar items. Golden's resignation came roughly three months after the university's donors threatened to pull funding from WSU if the Kansas Board of Regents didn't fire him. Some donors called for Golden's removal because of how he handled WSU Tech's contentious announcement that Ivanka Trump would be the WSU Tech commencement keynote speaker in June. WSU Tech made the announcement on the heels of the first weekend of national protests over the police murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and other people of color. After a petition circulated at Wichita State asking that the university reconsider having Trump be the keynote speaker, Golden stepped in. Fast forward to September, records show that one day before resignation, Golden attended a Wichita State Board of Trustees meeting and the Wichita State Innovation Alliance Board meeting. Golden also did an interview with KSN about the new campus smart factory being built with Deloitte. On the day he resigned, Golden attended the National Advisory Council. During that meeting, Golden was asked about his relationship with donors after blowback from the decision over Trump's keynote. Golden said donors were upset, and he had been with some of them recently for dinners and discussions. He said he believed time and conversation would heal the relationships. Golden was also asked about rumors concerning basketball coach Greg Marshall's investigation for misconduct. Golden said he could not comment on personnel matters. After the National Advisory Council meeting, Golden met with Kansas Board of Regents President Blake Flanders in Golden's office. KBOR announced Golden had submitted his letter of resignation later that day. University Provost Rick Muma was named the interim president for Wichita State University on Wednesday. Muma previously served as WSU's acting president. When former university president John Bardo fell ill in 2018, Muma took the position as well. Bardo died in March of 2018 after a long illness. He took on the acting position once again when Jay Golden resigned unexpectedly in September. At a faculty senate meeting on September 28th, Muma said he is not a candidate for permanent presidency. The Student Senate passed a resolution to encourage young people to work the polls during the November 3rd election. Historically, this role had been filled by an older population. With the elderly facing heightened risks from COVID-19, it's been suggested that young citizens step in to fill the need. Student senators said it's important to understand the situation and do their part in making the election run smoothly and safely. Local poll workers must be registered to vote in Sedgwick County they will be paid $9.50 an hour, significantly more than in recent years. Wichita State's Student Health Center has a limited supply of flu shots for students this fall. Students, faculty, and staff are encouraged to get one sooner than later. Because flu shots are in high demand, health centers, hospitals, and pharmacies may face a shortage later this year. Health experts recommend everyone get a flu shot to avoid a twindemic. That's the term used to describe a potential outbreak of the flu on top of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. The CDC and state health departments warn that 
Hospitals risk overcrowding already, with 35 states currently showing increases in COVID-19 cases. The potential is high that flu-related deaths would skyrocket without the public being protected with this year's flu shot. According to global health experts, the flu shot is a vaccine which reduces the likelihood of contracting the flu while also lowering the severity of the symptoms for anyone who contracts it. That makes it easier for doctors and nurses to differentiate between a patient who has the flu and one who has the coronavirus. That's your news for now. For The Sunflower, I'm Kaylin Moore. introduce yourselves. Uh, my name is Rabbi Michael Davis. Uh, I serve Congregation Emmanuel, which is a Reform Jewish congregation in town. Uh, Reform is the more liberal progressive denomination within Judaism. Uh, Emmanuel has been here since 1885, and I've been here for about 25 years of that. And then let's move on to Pastor Jomeen. Yes, and I am an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. Um, have uh, grown up in the Wichita area in about a, a 60 mile radius of the Wichita area. I uh, have been here at the church now for over five years and uh, University United Methodist Church is part of the big tent tradition of Methodist churches and uh, we are finding some growing pains within that. My congregation is more towards the liberal side. Let's move on to our last speaker. So my name is Hiba Mahdi. I I'm the director of communications out at the Seventh Society of Wichita, which is one of the mosques here. Um, it was established in about 1996. I'm a product of a mosque, born and raised in Wichita, have been the director for about two years now, but have been involved in it since since I was born. I, I attended this under Islamic school and have been part of the um, mosque, you know, uh, for a long time now. And so I'm excited to be on the other side of it and serving the congregation. Um, our mosque uh, follows the Sunni denomination, um, but we are uh, inclusive of all Muslims who, and non-Muslims who would like to join our services. So obviously it's been an interesting year. No sector can escape the uh, effects of the pandemic. Um, I am a, a priest kid for my listeners probably don't know that, but my mother is a reverend doctor in the Episcopal denomination. So I grew up seeing a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and continue to see some of that. And so I recognize that a crisis of faith can come in many forms. Sometimes it's more issues of logistics, I think, <laughs> and sometimes it is more uh, spiritual. So can you tell me a little bit about what your religious community has been doing since the shutdown, whether you're reopening and where the community is right now? Let's start with you, Rabbi. So starting back in March, I remember uh, I think it was March thirteenth, uh, Friday the thirteenth, when this started happening. I asked everyone who came to services, please, to keep distant from each other, and many of them just didn't. They didn't quite get it yet, and so from that point on, we have had all of our services uh, online. We use Facebook Live, sometimes linking it with Zoom. Um, the result is reaching out further, but not deeper. 
to people. That is, we are pulling in people beyond our congregation within our community here, but also people from Florida, the East Coast, the West Coast, former members, people I've never heard of before who, who are watching us. At the same time, people within our community are craving a community, craving a, a fellowship that uh, cannot happen this way. They can chat with each other online by, by typing a message that they can read, but it's not the same as sitting there in the pews. And so there is this sense of fellowship that is sorely missed. Added to this is the notion that our congregation will be moving to a new building in uh, about a month and a half. So this building, which has been home for the Jewish life of our congregation since 1960 or so, people are gonna be leaving without having a chance to say goodbye. And so they're really missing that. They're really missing that. Uh, we're gonna play around with some opportunities for them to, to have chances to, to be together here. But for the most part, it's just online. And it's, it's good in that they're thankful that they can have something, but it's not what they really want. So let's move on to our Pastor Joe. Uh, what has your community been dealing with, uh, generally speaking, in the last few months? And how are you uh, shifting now that things are reopening? Well, I was just on a conference call with uh, a group of uh, clergy about reopening. And when we look at the numbers, they probably are not going the direction that we will be able to reopen. We had really thought, uh, my disclaimer is that from the beginning, I kept thinking we would get into May and everything would be cleared up by then. And then in May, I played the game that it would be August and everything would be okay. So there has become a fatigue of being able to um, be present for people in this distance. And, and Michael, I just loved what you said about further, but not deeper in our faith. We have reached much further by our online presence too, but it feels like it, it has been um, at, at a price of not being able to connect at the level we would like to be doing things. So we have, uh, we've not worshiped in the church uh, since March. Um, I had started early on in February, as we started hearing more and more about this, about talking about ways that you can greet people without touching them. And we were talking about air high fives and, you know, touch the elbow and some things like that just for fun, not realizing that we were soon going to ask people to keep six feet apart, wear a mask. You know, who, who saw that coming? We did have an outdoor worship service on uh, the first weekend of October. That went very well. And we're planning on doing one more now at the end of October. But we don't know about getting back into the church just yet. You know, everybody's doing things a little bit differently. How is the uh, Islamic Society of Wichita handling things? Are they reopened yet? Yes, actually we have. So similar to what the rabbi was saying, everyone is aching for that social interaction, um, that sense of worship. So we actually closed our facilities on March 16th. Um, we just reopened um, on September 25th. Um, with COVID guidelines. And so that has consisted of capacities, you know, um, reaching a certain capacity. We can't, you know, uh, welcome any more people in. Once we've reached that capacity, that has been um, the requirements of masks. It has uh, consisted of 
plastic uh, plastic wrappings over the carpets. So where uh, when we prostate and when we uh, uh, make sujud uh, and pray on the carpets, that those are changed between prayers and between services. And so um, there are definitely guidelines that we have put in place to change between um, that. We have asked people to register online or at our main office to attend services. So that has been an interesting transition uh, for people, um, it's a one-time registration, but we ask that, you know, they, they get scanned before they go into prayer, that they, you know, they are um, following these guidelines and have agreed to follow the guidelines. Um, it was interesting when it first started for us because it was also a, a big time of worship for the Muslim community. Ramadan was happening in May. So our, um, our month of fasting, uh, both of our uh, Eids are two biggest holidays of the year happened during COVID. And so uh, transitioning these uh, was different, was hard for a lot of people because it was times where communities got together, they broke fast together, they ate together, worshiped together. And so it was, um, I think, a really hard time for the community, especially in the social aspect of what people usually get around this time and around these holidays. Uh, but we found ways around that. You know, we actually did... Uh, one of our aid services or holiday uh, prayer services at the Metroplex in our cars and radioed, um, uh, did service through the radio. And so people still got to see uh, the Muslims in Wichita, you know, through their cars and things like that. But again, different, not being able to handshake, not being able to hug, not being able um, to, you know, wish people well here in the community and again, worship together, most importantly. So it's definitely been an adjustment. Um, I would say also for the Islamic Society, we also serve a completely diverse community, both ethnically, age-wise. Um, and so we have a lot of people who are being affected by COVID at disproportionate rates, whether that is uh, job-wise, socioeconomically, or both um, ethnically as well. And so we have to be considerate of that um, in how we present our services. Can so, I ask, Heba, uh, uh, if when you open up at the end of September and you had to people register and all, are you limiting the number of people who can come to an individual service? And if so, how? That's because we're thinking about doing the same thing. And is it first come, first serve, or do they sign up ahead of time? Yes, it is first come, first serve. Um, so when we did the trial run, we did a trial run um, at the beginning of September where it was you had to register every week to attend service. And that was something that people had to do weekly. Obviously, it became like a to-do list of, you know, if you wanted to attend, you had to register. Um, and we figured that probably wasn't the best way and wasn't a sustainable effort. Um, and so we did a one-time registration um, and they have to scan a QR code to come in. So we already know who's attending, you know, in terms if someone did test positive, then we can also alert people that were there, um, things like that. And so it is just a capacity first come first serve. So um, in the mosque space, we have about capping out 100 uh, people with that six feet distance masks on. I believe they have a video on their website that shows some of the steps they're taking in the reopening process. So that might be of use to you. I'm sure a lot of people are asking these questions. How are each of your communities now pivoting to to face COVID, in, you know, in the community? Uh, what, what does it look like for your communities? As I said, we are leaning towards uh, moving to a new place. And so we're packing things up and getting things ready. We are still very involved um, in the community regarding 
um, uh, anti-racism issues and things like that. Uh, but doing that on Zoom, doing that online, we're having edu adult education programs online. Um, and so all of our outreach to, um, to other organizations is by Zoom and all of our in-reach to our own congregation for uh, educational purposes and meetings and social are all on Zoom as well. So um, we have uh, taken on as a, a timing-wise, it just happened this way, but we had just gotten what is called a Paxton's Blessing Box uh, set up at the church just at the time that things shut down. And uh, that's really kind of a ministry of caring that was put up by a young man named uh, Paxton here in the Wichita area. And now there's, there's 60 of these boxes around that you keep food stuff in, things that people could just drive up and take as a kind of an immediate small food pantry. And so we've been uh, highly involved with that and keeping that stocked for people with uh, hygiene products and diapers and all sorts of things that people have need of uh, during this time, realizing so many people are out of work right now. And maybe they were under the same dream that I was just three months more and we'll be better, just three more months more and we'll be better. We're seeing now that we're probably years out before some of these uh, things will have full recovery. So there's there's this sense of long-term disaster recovery that is happening now of being present for people and helping people in the midst of which our country is in a new struggle with uh, understanding and, and trying to come to terms with uh, the inequities of racial differences in our communities. And we've got to stay uh, at the forefront of this conversation. And so our church had a, a silent protest recognizing Black Lives Matter on our corner there at um, 21st and Yale, right across from Wichita State. Uh, one one day. So we're doing things that we can do in smaller groups, uh, being able to still stay active. We're still involved with the food ministry at the Lord's Diner and helping with that. We're still taking collections for uh, United Methodist Open Door and the services they provide. Uh, the needs are growing by, by far, and there's there's plenty of work to be done. It's just figuring out how to do it now. It has become the more complicated piece. Within the Islamic Society of Wichita, is your organization involved in community campaigns that are specifically focused on the pandemic? Yeah, similar to Pastor Joe, we've done, uh, we've raised money for food boxes. And so, again, the need is so great. And we just keep seeing that number go up and, uh, and increase. Um, and so we distributed about 250 food boxes and hygiene items. Um, back in June and July, and we're wanting to do a second round of that now because we see that that jump again, um, that need is still there. Um, we also have what we call an Assam Zakat, which is like almsgiving. And so those applications have gone up of people needing um, financial assistance. And um, there's a multitude of ways that you can qualify to receive that financial assistance. One of that's being unemployed. And so we've seen people assist, uh, request that assistance more. Some of the other things we've done have been partnering with Health Corps and the Cedric County Health Department to host uh, 
mobile testing sites for COVID right in our parking lot. So our facilities don't have to be open, but that's open to the public. And so we've hosted two of those and then have one scheduled for October 26th and November 18th in hopes of, you know, serving the Wichita community in general, but also spreading the word to our Muslim community and getting tested and how important it is to keep up and make sure everyone is staying healthy um, and as safe as possible, no matter where they work um, and no matter where they interact. In addition to these important uh, matters, there's also something we see in people's isolation, uh, especially folks who don't have uh, access to the technology that we do, who understand it even less than I do. Um, and, and it's very difficult for them to have contact with other people. Um, and so there is, a, there is a lot of outreach to people who either, uh, because of their, their age or abilities, uh, cannot reach out to others, but also just folks who, they're not isolated with their family. They're isolated by themselves and they need outreach as well. I think that that's very true. I know that in the Episcopal Church, there is an aging population for sure. And my guess is that my grandmother, who's 95 up in Lawrence, is not attending church on Zoom. I do wonder about the implications of that on people's faith. I also wanted to point out that there have been multiple studies on Americans' faith. They've done them over the last few months. Essentially, about a quarter of Americans that have been polled by numerous organizations, including Pew Research, say that their faith is stronger from the pandemic than ever before. But I did find that really interesting because my sense from conversations that I've had with friends is that people are really struggling. You can struggle and still have a strong faith, but my assumption was that people would be losing their faith. Why do you think religion is appealing to so many people? Well, I I think I have not experienced, I have not seen a lot of people losing their faith in the divine because of a pandemic, because of this. Because, again, I believe uh, that most of the folks with whom I have contact are not seeing this as a punishment from heaven. This isn't Sodom and Gomorrah being struck down with fire and brimstone. This is a pandemic. This is this is science. This is a, a medical problem. Um, so the faith they have um, in, in God is not being challenged specifically by a pandemic. This actually goes along with what you just said, Audrey, that when people are challenged, they reach out for hope. They reach out for strength. And if their strength comes from the divine, they're going to need that more than ever. So if they're just just being challenged to face every day in a difficult time, they're going to reach out to the place from which they draw strength, whether it be God, whether it be their traditions, or whether it be faith in humanity. Pastor Joe, do you have anything to say about these these, uh, statistics that are showing people are not losing their faith? I think that what is really happening is maybe for the first time, people have understood this love your neighbor in a whole new way, that truly this, this could be taking over the chicken noodle soup and extending just the, the hand of compassion to someone. And right now, I mean, I see these families that are struggling with how they're going to educate their children. There was such an assumption that schools would always be open and suddenly no. And what does that mean? And I think there has been just maybe 
a wellspring of compassion that has come up that people realize we are all interconnected in ways we've never been able to probably formulate before. And that not only do we reach across faith lines and race lines, but maybe, maybe, maybe we can find a way to reach across the political lines too and uh, bring about healing of this country uh, for the weeks that are ahead. You're absolutely right. I think there's a there's this need to reach out for everybody. The chicken soup, that's my stuff. Come on, you can't don't stand your own lane. But um, but yeah, there is as you said, you re, they're relying on their tradition and they're relying on what their tradition teaches them, whether it be Muslim, Christian, Jewish, whatever it may be, that tells you to reach out to others in need. And now is a time when people are in need. And so perhaps, Audrey, this is a an example of people's faith being stronger because they're relying on their teachings. So let's talk about uh, the the Islamic tradition here. And obviously you can only speak to your experience and to your organization and not for the entirety of Muslims. What do you think is happening uh, right now in terms of people's faith? Absolutely. I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, I definitely think, and I keep seeing um, the word tawakkun be shared, you know, amongst the Muslim community, which means trust in God's plan. And I think there has been um, this, you know, similar to the statistics you shared, I think there is a struggle, you know, amidst the pandemic, the fatigue from Zoom calls, you know, online schooling, the bombing in Beirut, you know, the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and everything else that's going on, you know, there is this struggle. And I think there is this need for faith, you know, there is this need of the divine strength that the rabbi had mentioned and uh, people that are wanting to get closer to their faith. I think people struggle with the question of why is this happening? Um, I don't think that puts their faith in question. I think it just puts um, that struggle over the hump of ask, you know, asking and not having the answers. And, you know, um, what, uh, pastor Joe was talking about of the unknown, you don't know what's happening. You know, we thought three months we'd be over this and we're sitting here. We don't, you know, the impact is a year or two out. And so I think, um, the Muslim community is really relying on that, um, on the community, like the compassion that we talked about and relying on that one-on-one connection of who they do have connections with and who they can talk to. But I think the struggle is definitely there. I think the resources are also there. And I think the community, um, we're just reimagining what these spaces and what these things look like and what support looks like. And I think it's been interesting because I've heard a lot of people, a lot of Muslims I've talked to say that they have strengthened their individual relationship with God versus this, you know, I go to prayer every Friday to worship um, versus, oh, I sit down and have this quiet time to myself of 45 minutes of just strengthening my relationship with Allah. So um, I think it's just reimagining these spaces and what they look like. And it's been a transition for everyone. And so the struggle is there. I think the faith lives on. And that's what it's looked like for the Muslim community that I've been a part of and the people I've talked to. So because I have representatives of three different faiths here, I do want to ask something. But, you know, we have talked about bombings. We have seen a lot of racial injustice and people becoming more aware of that, I think, within certain communities than maybe they were before. Do you feel like some of the political divisions that are happening in our country are showing up interdenominationally? Are people starting to 
segregate themselves more religiously, Muslim, Christian, Jew, and whatnot, as the country is dividing itself along racial and political lines. You mean, are, are Jews, Christians, and Muslims being pulled further apart or coming together? My sense, and again, this is just me um, looking out. You're right. I think people in America are coming to grips with new reality. I believe we're seeing the beginning of a new stage in the civil rights movement. Where, uh, where white Americans are realizing that it's more than just equality, it's equity, and it's the beginning of an awareness. And in that respect, I think everybody is realizing this at the same time. Folks in the, in the Muslim community, and uh, I would say folks in the Jewish community have more experience with being discriminated against. And we have worked on civil rights issues in the past. My dad marched with King. I mean, we were very involved in this, but I don't think this is pulling people apart religiously. It is pulling people apart culturally, but it's not pulling people apart religiously. I, I don't find my congregation, I may have a few um, Second Amendment proponents in my congregation. I may have some people who are more traditional, some people who are, are, are more conservative, more liberal, but it's, it's really not pulling us apart uh, that I see anyway. Uh, so let's uh, move on here to uh, get another perspective. What do you believe is going on here, Pastor Joe? Are you seeing people start to segregate themselves along religious lines or no? I, I'm not. There's definitely a cultural something happening that I can't put my finger on, but I don't think it's happening within the faith communities. And yet I don't want to say that it's happening because people are outside the faith communities either. I mean, that, that doesn't sound quite right either, but something is happening that is this shift. And anytime things change, it, it happens with what once was you know, being pulled away into what the new thing is that's being created. And so I'm I'm just hoping that we're in a birthing process of moving towards something new where we can truly love our neighbors and we can stand hand in hand and still recognize the differences that we have and celebrate the differences. It's not that we all have to become the same. And uh, we've had this great joy here in Wichita for a long time of having these interfaith dialogues where different people come together and have conversations. And whenever I've been a part of those conversations, it has never been to the point of, uh, excuse me, you're wrong. Let me understand how to make you understand the right way. That's never been it. And in all the conversations I have with people, it's not about uh, putting someone else's faith down. It's more about maybe helping me understand why you think that. And I'll try to help you understand why I think what I do. And maybe between that, we come out with this new thing that comes up one more time. But I think it's about a, a, an energy that's happening right now. For many, it feels very frightening. Uh, there is so much going on that I can't explain. And I wish I had words for it. It's not, and it's not just the election. It's not just COVID. I think there's a lot of things that are coming together all at once that are challenging all of us. But I believe that probably the faith communities are stepping closer together. And maybe we once were holding hands and maybe now we've got our hands on each other's shoulders. Uh, historically, this could have really gone in a different direction and we could have uh, decided, well, we're already divided politically. And so let's go back to the oldest division imaginable, <laughs> which is religion. So I think that's really encouraging. I wonder if it speaks to a I just really essential 
human need right now to connect or if it really is just an issue of faith and knowing what faith means and not allowing the fact that we're Muslim Christian or Jew to divide us. Are you sensing that there is less division now, even with the pandemic, than you've seen in previous um, times of trial? I'm seeing more effort to overcome. When when Pittsburgh happened and there was an attack in Pittsburgh, uh, when uh, New Zealand happened, the shooting in New Zealand, I went to the Islamic Society and brought flowers. I, there's, a, there's an outreach of acknowledgement that no one wants hatred and the results of hatred to affect anyone. And so we do reach out to one another rather than pull further apart. Religiously, that's what I see happening. Again, culturally, that's another story. But religiously, this seems to be one of those things that brings us together. Uh, I would agree with the rabbi. I, I would also say, I think at one point, interfaith dialogues, interfaith uh, initiatives were at the forefront. And I don't think that's the case anymore. I do think that those initiatives are still taking place. Um, I just think that there have been other struggles and other um, events that have happened that are now at the forefront of society's mind. I think also in the shift of everything, inclusivity is at an all-time high. So respecting others' differences, um, like Pastor Joe said, I don't think it was, hey, you're wrong, I'm right. It was more, It's more so, this is what you believe, this is what I believe, and how do we get along? How do we work together? Um, regardless of our differences, how do we celebrate one another? And so I think inclusivity is at an all-time high too, just culturally, and is part of that cultural shift that we've been talking about. There's a thing that we've seen for a while where one group will say, I feel this pain and I'm expressing it this way and you're not hearing me. And um, what we're finding today, it's not religious per se, but cultural, where a group is saying, we feel this pain and we are expressing it and you're not hearing me. And that's what we I meant earlier about coming to a new stage that people are beginning now to hear. Uh, and so, so what do you think? I mean, obviously, Pastor Joe, you've been ordained, I think you get ordained in, in your denomination too, uh, for a while now. So I'm sure that this isn't the first time that you have seen this country struggle with something uh, mightily. Do you feel like there is a shift now with the pandemic in, in terms of religious divisions? No, I don't. I don't think it's been because of the pandemic. Um, I think divisions uh, are going to occur when when someone feels um, not heard or not understood. And sometimes it's when the people finally have the power to be able to say, I'm here. And then it also refers back to what you kind of talked about a little bit earlier, or I am the one giving up the power. And do I do it willingly or has it been taken from me? And so I think some of the things that we're just going through are just compounded so much by COVID uh, because everything that was normal for us isn't. Uh, you don't just hop in the car and go to the store. You have to make sure you're wearing your mask. Uh, to, to go into services, you have to make a reservation. What? That's never happened before kind of thing. So, I mean, all these things that just were given are no longer there. And so I think in some ways we've lost some of our footing but maybe some of that's okay too, because there's some things that we needed to let go of. Um, well, first of all, I, I want to agree with something that uh, 
uh, Pastor Joe said that chicken soup will help everything. Um, but other than that, uh, other than that, the, the one of the main purposes, I believe, for any of these religious institutions, any of these congregations, um, in, in, in Hebrew, it's a kihilah kadosha, a sacred congregation, uh, a sacred assembly. Uh, any purpose, it's more than just to come and say words that are written on a page. It's to be reminded of the teachings of love and fellowship that our, our faith traditions teach us. And so if some, so the lesson that you were asking, if someone is in need, they should be able to find some comfort in one of these places. And if they can't, then that's on us. I, I believe love is the answer. And and my tradition says that God is love. You know, uh, the the three faith traditions that are, are represented here are the Abrahamic faiths. You know, we all come from the same main shoot and then have have done some different things along the time. But but for that reason, chicken soup works for Methodists too, Rabbi. You know, <laughs> so we're I I think it's about love. It is going to be about extending the olive branch every chance we can. And and I often talk in my congregation about not only do you need to give grace that unmerited forgiveness but you need to accept it when it comes your way too that this is a time that we're living in difficulty and people need to know that they can say I'm sorry and it will be received that we've got to look for places of having agreement finding common ground to stand on and building from that place instead of uh, harming one another because we're not we're not out of this crisis yet Sure, absolutely. Thank you for both sharing. Both of what you shared was beautiful. For us, you know, there is this verse in the Quran, which is, and it's with hardship comes ease. And so, and that doesn't mean after hardship or before hardship, but alongside hardship, there's ease. And so, Find that ease, whether that's through prayer, patience, whether that's through service online or individual prayer, um, search for that and celebrate it. And that ease will be there no matter what, alongside hardship, anytime that it's there. And so I do want to extend the invite to anyone who wants to get COVID tested on October 26th or November 18th at the Asylum Society of Wichita. It will be open uh, to the public. So if you are free and want to do so, please come out and join us. I just want to close with something here. I am not a religious leader. So, and I don't know that, that this uh, news podcast is a place for prayer itself. Um, but I do want to say uh, a parting thought, which is um, Desmond Tutu, one of my favorite people to quote, uh, says that God's love is too great to be confined to any one side of a conflict or to any one religion. And I think it is a good parting thought for this time as we move into elections and um, whatever else is going to happen in 2020. <laughs> I want to thank you all for being here. And that's our episode. 